be in Ezekiel chapter 6. Ezekiel chapter 6. So that last song that we sang, um, I, I love the lyrics where it says, all my life you have been faithful. Um, because I, it takes me back to think of the time when I didn't know the Lord personally. I heard about him and stuff like that. And um, one of those moments that I remember back to that, um, that I'm going to use tonight as an analogy is um, I remember as a child, my parents would uh, take us to Mexico all the time. And uh, they would, um, we would travel. Actually, most of the time we would drive because uh, flying was too expensive. Uh, so we'd go to where my grandpa uh, originally is from, from his hometown. And uh, in that place, there wasn't a lot to do because it was a, a pueblo is what we call it, right? A small little town. And uh, But uh, the things that there was to do were fun. And there was this one memory that I have of, um, of a canal, there was this little canal that, that ran for a long time, uh, for, uh, um, for miles or whatever. And then it came to this one part where it became kind of like a small pond uh, covered by, like uh, stopped by a dam. And then there was the other side, which would allow the water to flow or not. Um, but I remember that as, as uh, kids, uh, we would go out there and uh, we would uh, grab a rope tie it on one side. I don't even remember where we would tie it from. We'd just find somewhere to tie it from. And we would tie it on one side. Then we would swim to the other side and tie it on the other side. And, um, and so what we would do is we would jump into water and hang on to this rope as the, 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 the uh, canal would pull you. And sometimes it was stronger. Sometimes it was not as strong. It was calm. Uh, but one thing I remember is that every time that you went underwater, the deeper that you went, the more, the, the more peace that there was, right? Anybody ever, ever go underwater in a pool or somewhere else and you go underwater and it's almost like everything is peaceful, everything is quiet, right? And so, it, like I mentioned earlier, I, this... Uh, from time to time, we would get risky and we would allow ourselves to let go of this rope, right? And so what would happen is that this canal would take you to this dam, which was, it was pretty wide. It was probably about as wide as this, this room here. And then it was about, I want to say, 10 feet deep. I don't really know the distance. It was pretty deep. And so from time to time, we would allow the, the, the stream to take us. And then we would go underneath. And, and you would be able to see where the dam had the gate and everything. And for some reason, it had like these spike-looking things. And so um, um, what it reminded me of, um, it, uh, because there was times when it was closed, and there was times when this, this was low, and it, and it was pretty dangerous at times. And now that I think back to it, like there was times when you did go under, and you had maybe like enough room to fit, you know. And so I'm just glad at that time I wasn't, I was pretty small, so <laughs> I never got stuck, but that would have been pretty bad. But when this thing was closed, I remember that it went uh, you, you were able to get on this dam and you were able to see one side and you were able to see the flow coming, but it was going nowhere. And then you were able to see on the other side and the other side was lower 
and there was no flow on the other side. It was almost like the water was just still. And the reason I bring this up tonight is because we're going to look at Israel. And Israel for a while was a whole, uh, had an open dam where they were flowing through the land, right? They were flowing through the land. The, the, the Lord took them from Egypt to the wilderness. And even in the wilderness, right? It doesn't say that they just stood still in the wilderness, right? What does it say? It says that they wandered in the wilderness, right? They wandered in the wilderness and then into the promised land. And so they're in a place where the flow has stopped. And thinking back to this memory, what I noticed when the flow stopped was that one side where the flow was coming, it was still coming. The other side of the dam where the flow was, uh, was no longer passing by as strong, it was still and nothing was really happening and things weren't really alive and things weren't moving. And so in our lives, sometimes there's these dams that happen. And by these dams, I mean these uh, uh, things in our hearts, things in our lives, things in, uh, uh, that the Lord has allowed us to, to walk into that stop the, the, the flow of the power of God through us. Because how many of you guys know that when we receive the Holy Spirit, there is a power that lives in us that can raise the dead, a power that lives in us that can heal the sick, that can change and transform people's lives, right? Change and transform people's lives. That's why he put us among the nations. And that's why going back to Israel, Israel, what we're looking at tonight with Ezekiel is that Ezekiel is speaking to the nation of Israel who was put in, who was put in, uh, amongst the nations to be that power to create change. But rather than doing that, they allowed things to remain in their lives that created these dams or this, 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 this flow-stopping monuments that they allowed in their lives. And so tonight, before we go into chapter 6, I'm going to take something that Matthew uh, brought up last week in his teaching, chapter 5, because it really stuck with me after the teaching. And, and I knew that this is where we should go with this. So in verse 5, in chapter 5, verse 5, it says, um, Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. So, what I want to point out here is where he says, this is Jerusalem, right? And I want us to just allow that to sink in for a little bit. Because what we're going to see in chapter 6 is depicted here, okay? What we're going to see is what we, what we or what scholars, not we, what scholars call apostasy, right? It's a deflection of the truth. What, what's going to happen is that the Lord is going to present the truth, and then he's also going to present the deflection of that truth and what that looks like. You see, I truly believe that in our lives, the Lord causes us to have a flow of his power through us. How many of you guys can agree with me that there's nothing in us that can do anything in this world good? That's good, right? And, and so something that Matthew brought up last week was that he said Jerusalem, right? The city of peace. That's what it means. 
right? But then you break it down a little more and you understand what this peace means. It's not just this feeling of everything's going to be okay. It's not this feeling of things are not going to go wrong. It's not this feeling of uh, um, the, the overpowering of the Holy Spirit. But rather he brought up two things. The first thing he brought up was that the first part of Jerusalem is Jeru, right? And I'm not going to say it in the Hebrew way because I don't know any Hebrew or anything like that, but it's, it's J-E-R-U, right, Jeru? And what that means is flow, right? Jeru means flow, which could be the flow of a stream of water, could be the flow of a finger as it's pointing. It could be the flow of a rock or something that is thrown, I guess maybe like being stoned or something, right? It, it flows off your hand kind of thing. So that's the first part. The second part here is Salem, right? And, and Salem here, what it means is completeness and wholeness, completeness and wholeness. And so ultimately, when you take the flow and completeness and wholeness, what you get out of this is peace, right? What you get out of this is peace when you put it together. And so in order for us to have this, this peace in our life that, that, I don't know about you guys, but we so much seek, right? We seek for peace in our hearts, peace in our lives. In order for us to have this, there first must be a flow. Uh, there, there first must be a completeness, a wholeness. But in order to have that, we need to also have the flow. And so the title for tonight's teaching is Flow. And it's not flow as an F-L-O-W, but this is an acronym that we're going to touch on later. Um, and, and the reason I, I bring flow up is because John in chapter 7 talks about this, right? He, it, it, Jesus Christ says in John chapter 7, if you believe in me, what happens is rivers of living water will flow through you, right? And that's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to allow that flow to go through us, the power of God to flow through us, right? But when we allow these dams in our life, which may be from anything from things that the Lord doesn't want in our lives, right? How many of you guys know that not everybody has the same conviction is for a reason? Sorry, my mouth is really dry. All this pollen out here. But... um. And it's for a reason, right? And so ultimately, what the Lord wants for our lives is for his power to flow through us, right? His power to flow through us and that, that peace may be in us, but ultimately it's that flow, allowing that flow through our lives. And what we're going to see tonight is that Israel didn't have that. Israel had gotten into a place where they had allowed so many things in their lives that they were forewarned of, right? They knew the commandments of God, um, but they allowed it into their lives and it created all these uh, stoppages. There was no more flow in their lives. And God, being the God that he is, a good and loving father, he's going to change that. And he's not going to just let it be. And he's going to do something in their lives. So, um, before we get into the word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you because you are so good that when we allow ourselves to come to a place um, where we're not allowing your power to flow through us, 
you do something about it. You lovingly take us and, and, and bring things into our lives that's going to purge us from everything that is not of you. So Lord, tonight as we uh, dive into your word, I pray that you may be the one that speaks. You may be the one who uh, transforms our hearts and that brings change in our lives and, and to those around us, Lord. So thank, thank you for tonight. And we ask you to bless this word. Amen. So we see here in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face towards the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines, and to the valleys. Indeed, I, even I, will bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places. So notice here that, um, that, that Ezekiel is being asked to turn and face the mountains of Israel, and then they bring the valleys, and then they bring all these other things that are, that, that, that are like ravines and everything. And, and so they're, they're um, landmarks rather than the people of Israel in this chapter, right? And the reason why he brings this up, why the Lord brings this up, is because on these places is where there was altars and idols, and, and people would go and, and sacrifice to these idols. Um, <clears throat> and ultimately, I think what he's saying here, when he says to the mountains of Israel, he's really talking about creation, right? How many of you guys remember where uh, Jesus is, is going into Jerusalem, right? In Luke chapter 19, he's going into Jerusalem, um, and, and, and he's on this donkey, and the, the, it says that the disciples start praising him, right? And saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Uh, he, claiming him to be king. And what do the Pharisees say? What do the, the, the religious leaders of the time who would basically equate to the Israelites now, well, what do they say? He says, silence them. He's a teacher, silence them, Right? Everybody's claiming that he is king, that he is Lord, that he has come, that he's the Messiah really is what they're saying. And the Pharisees, in their unbelief and their hardness of heart, what they say is, teacher, silence them, right? He says, silence those disciples. Tell them to stop telling lies, right? And what does Jesus answer to that? I love Jesus. Jesus always has the perfect answer for everything. I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of those people that um, my answer comes like two hours later, you know, to anything. And I'm like, oh, that would have been something good to say. Oh, that would be, I always tell my wife and she's always mad at me because she's like, you just have to respond to these things. I'm like, my mind doesn't work like that. I wish I was like Jesus. He always had the right thing to say at the right time. And... So what he answers is, if they keep silent, right, even these rocks will immediately scream out. And I love how he phrases it. Because he doesn't say at some point the rocks will come alive. And he's like, the moment that they become silent, nobody worships me, creation will. Creation will. And so we see here a deflection of that, right? Because the creation that's meant to 
point us to God, the creation that's meant to worship him ultimately, what happens with the creation is that the people defile it. And so this is one of the first examples of the deflection of truth, right? They're no longer, the creation is no longer telling the truth of God, right? He's no longer telling the beauty of God, but rather you have these altars, these idols set all over the land. It's so bad that it's no longer just in the valleys. It's no longer just in the valley, in the mountains, but it's everywhere, including in the ravines, which is kind of crazy, right? You think about it. Like it's everywhere. It's become so prominent. And so what it tells me here is that the the Lord knows that they're not going to listen. They're no longer listening. They've, they've kept silent for so long that they don't know how to speak out, right? They don't know how to stand and allow the power of God to flow through them is what's happening here. And so what we see is that the Lord doesn't stay quiet because he doesn't say, oh, they're not listening. I'm just going to walk away, right? But rather in love, what he says is go speak to the go speak to the creation first and go go speak truth to it why because in speaking truth to it there's hope that my glory might still be seen in that so what we see here continuing on is what's going what's going to happen and it says then your so basically I will destroy your high places then your altars shall be desolate, your incense altars shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols, and I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones all around your altars. In all your dwelling city places, the city shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. Your idols may be broken and made to cease. Your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. So, not only is there altars in the creation and all these things, but ultimately it's the people that have deflected from the truth. Uh, a people who are a people chosen by God to represent God are no longer those people. And so what God is doing is he's bringing judgment to them, right? He's bringing judgment to them. But how many of you guys know that the judgment of God is better than any type of judgment we could ever experience? Because he's merciful, he's gracious, he's loving. You guys remember what there's two main things here. There's altars, right, and idols. There's altars and idols, right? And, and, and if we look at all, uh, idols to begin with, what did the Lord tell the Israelites about idols? It's always good to go back to the truth, right? He said not to have them, right? First and second commandments, right? Yeah, good. No other God. Go ahead and say, yeah, no other gods, right? And you're not to create anything before me. 
Why? Because God knew their hearts. God knew that the moment that they allowed idols into their heart, into their lives, the moment that they allowed, that they, they recreated anything to represent some type of God, that was the moment when the flow of the power of God would be stopped in their life. And I think it's interesting because uh, when you read the biblical account, um, I don't know if you've ever read from Genesis to the whole Old Testament, right? It's, it's a long time before all this happens, right? It's a long time before the, the Lord says, you're no longer, no longer a representation of me. There's something not right here, right? And I find it interesting that it's not the people that notice, right? The people just keep going setting idols, uh, worshiping at, at these altars and all this stuff. And so what we see here is that the Lord says, it's enough. I've told you about the idols. And then later, when they're about to go into the promised land, he tells them that they're supposed to not worship any idols of the Canaanites. They're not supposed to, uh, um, um, they're supposed to destroy every single altar, Right? And do they do that? No, because we see it here. And it, what it reminds me is, is, is of my life. What are things that I'm saying, oh, that's not so important. I, I, it's not that big of a deal that I have this in my life, right? And I've said it several times. Sometimes we think of sin as a pet where we could just keep it there and control it and feed it from time to time and it's going to be okay, but that's not what the Bible says about sin, right? That's not what the Bible says about those things in our lives that need to be uh, taken out or ripped off. But rather what it says is that we're supposed to leave every weight, right? That's what Paul says, because we're running a race. And so what we see here is that they didn't do that. And what ends up happening is that eventually the Lord comes into and he says, I love you too much to leave you there. And the judgment that he brings is not one for destruction, right? The judgment that he brings to his people is not one for destruction, but rather it's one for restoration. As, 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 as bad as it might seem or might look or might read as you read through this, right? It hurts my heart to think that this is what, this is what it comes to sometimes for us to be able to turn to God and and give our back to our sin or the things in our life that don't belong there, right? But ultimately, his judgment, when it comes, it's not for destruction for his people, of course, because obviously we see in Revelation that there are people who are just not going to listen. I mean, Jesus is going to reign on this earth for, for a thousand years, and people are still going to stand up and rebel against him. And go to war with him, thinking that they even stand a chance. Only to be thrown into the lake of fire at the end. Right? So yeah, there's that judgment. But the judgment that comes on his people is not for destruction, but rather it's for uh, a reconstruction, a restoration. And so he says in verse 7, and he emphasizes this. And he's going to emphasize this a couple of times. He says, the slain shall fall in your midst. And you shall know that I am the Lord, 
right? This lane shall find your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So the whole purpose of this is not to destroy you. The whole purpose of this, the Lord says, is that you will know that I am the Lord. Because when that happens, there will be a flow of my power that comes through you that no one has ever seen, right? And then continuing on in verse 8, he says, Yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive. So we see here that there's going to be a remnant that stays. Uh, last week we were talking about uh, we're going to chapter 5, and he's talking about cutting his hair and his beard and all this stuff and throwing it to wind. And there's going to be a third of that, of that remnant that we're, it's spoken of in Revelation as well that's going to survive, right? That's actually going to worship the Lord. Some people tend to think that it's 144,000 Jews that's spoken about in Revelation. It may be that. You know, there's a lot of connections there. Ezekiel is very prophetic and very uh, futuristic. So, it could be that, but we see here that ultimately there is going to be a remnant. He's not going to destroy his people entirely. And it's interesting because um, when he's talking in this chapter, he's not talking about one person, right? He's already dealt with the kings. He's already dealt with the people, but now he's dealing as a body, right? He's dealing as a body, as a nation of Israel, and, and, and so he says, out of that body, this is what's going to be left, right? There's going to be a remnant. I'm not going to destroy the whole body. And it should give us hope, I think. It should give us hope that we have a God who, even though he could uh, obliterate us in a second, right? He doesn't. Because he says, there's things that need to say because I'm going to use them for something, right? There's going to be a remnant in you. The Lord doesn't just take us and make us a completely different person, right? I mean, kind of, right? But, but you know what I mean. He doesn't, like, you're unrecognizable, right, kind of thing. Why? Because the things that he's allowed into our lives, the Lord has been there the whole time in your life, right? And the Lord has allowed things into your life that have molded you to become the person that you are today, Right? The only thing that happens when, when, when you allow the Lord in your life, the Spirit to dwell in you, is that He takes those things and He refines them so that when time comes, it could give Him glory. Right? And so He says, I'm not getting rid of you completely. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come with judgment, but that judgment is going to have something left over and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. And then he gives the reason why he needs to do this, right? Why he needs to bring judgment and leave a remnant. He says, continuing on in verse nine, he says, because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me, and by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols, they will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed in all their abominations. Right? And so here the, the, the Lord uses um, words that are that to connect with humanity, right? To connect with his creation. 
because he says, I was crushed by their adulterous heart, right? He says, I was crushed. He wants us to know how he how, how serious this is. And he says, take this and think about this and, and, and dwell on this because this is where your heart is. Your heart is in such a bad place with these idols and these altars that you have crushed my heart. Now, literally, can the Lord's heart be crushed? Absolutely not, right? What kind of God would we have if his heart could be crushed? Like I would have crushed him many times already. But instead, what he means is this is how serious this is. Your adulterous heart. And every time I think about a crushed heart and I think about, about idols and all these things, and specifically in this section and the abominations, it makes me think of the prophet Hosea. In Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, right? What does the Lord tell him? Hosea was at, he's probably one of the prophets, I think, is, is, it has one of the most difficult tasks, right? And, and I give all props to Ezekiel. He does some crazy things, but Hosea is matters of the heart, right? He, he, he is asked to marry a prostitute, right? A harlot. And then she, she, they have kids and everyone, family, and, and she leaves them. She leaves them to go back to her life. And what does the Lord tell Hosea? Go again and love a woman who's loved by a lover. Right? Go again and love a woman who's loved by a lover. And so when I think about this part here, where his heart is crushed, but he's still seeking after them, he's still coming to them and allowing a remnant to remain I think about Hosea because that's his heart for his people, right? That's his heart for them, even though they have betrayed him, right? They have left them, turned their back on him and gone back to their old ways, their ways in the wilderness, their ways in Egypt, their ways before God intervened and they were slaves. They went back to their slavery. Yet in all this, the Lord is not saying, I'm done with you. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving you, right? All he's saying is what this is causing is a stoppage of flow in your life. What this is causing is for you to misrepresent who I am to the nations. What this is stopping is that power to flow out of you, those rivers of water to flow out of your heart because there's no room for that because your heart is full of adultery, is full of idols. But ultimately, what they're missing is this. In verse 10 it says, and they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. They're missing that, that, um, that intimacy with the Lord, knowing him, right? That indulgence in him. That's what they're missing. So in verse 11, <clears throat> it says... Thus says the Lord God, 
pound your fist and stamp your feet and say, Alas, for all evil, all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine and pestilence. He who is far off shall die by the pestilence. He who is near shall fall by the sword, and he who remains and is besieged shall die by the famine. Thus will I spend my fury upon them. And so we see here that nobody can get away, right? There's not one. It doesn't matter how scattered they are. It doesn't matter what's going on. Remember, by this time, uh, the northern kingdom's already gone. They're already scattered into the, into the known world at the time, right? By the Assyrians. They, they came, they took them, they... Um, yeah, it was not good. But what he's saying is, it doesn't matter how far you are, how close you are, it, it, you're all in the same place. And, and, and I'm not going to just let you get away with it. Because I love you, is what he's saying. Because I love you, I'm not going to let you get away with it. But you are going to have to experience my fear. My fear looks like this. And so some of it's sword. Some of it's famine and some of it's pestilence, but um, they're, they're going to experience something. And so, and, and it's so important to notice that because sometimes in our lives, we do need to experience those things in order for the Lord to change us and transform us. In order for us to turn our back on the things that don't matter so that we could face the one who does matter. And so that we could open up our hearts to the one that is important. Um, sometimes we get so busy in life that we can allow good things to become idols. I don't know if you guys ever thought about this, but you can allow your Bible reading to become an idol. Right? You can allow that to become an idol. I mean, that's a difficult one because it's the word of God, Right? But if we're just reading, reading, I mean, I know people who have read the whole Bible and still want nothing to do with the Lord. They know the Bible back and uh, front and back, still want nothing to do with the Lord. Why? Because their, their idol is that they read the Bible. They have that knowledge. I don't need any more. I got what I need right here. But this, without an intimate relationship with God, our Father, means nothing right they're just words in the wind and so we see here that he's going to spend his fury upon them and then in verse 13 it says then you shall know that i am the lord when their slain are among their idols all around their altars on every high hill on all the mountaintops under every green tree and under every thick oak wherever they offered sweet incense to all their idols Wherever they offer sweet incense to all their idols. I don't know if you guys can think of the ladder, and then it, it automatically tells you that way I'm gonna know the Lord, right? When the slain are among you. It's pretty a pretty graphic picture there. But I think sometimes we need that graphic picture, right? Of what's going to happen in order for us to realize how serious. It is where our hearts are at, right? Um, 
sometimes we need that seriousness. And so what he's saying is, I'm going to, everywhere where there was altars and idols, there's going to be slain. So it's kind of a defilement of those places. So he's basically doing to these places what they did to him, right? The people defiled themselves. Um, they, they're basically uh, at taking themselves to a death. And the Lord says, you want death and I'll give you death. And he says, you're going to be the slain and you're going to be all over the place. And all these places where there's idols and altars and all this stuff. And so ultimately what he's saying is that all this is still so that all this is still so that you may, may know me. And then in verse 14, he says, So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate, yes, more desolate than wilderness, and the wilderness toward Dibla and all their dwelling place. And so when I think about him stretching his hand, and anytime you, you read in the Bible, the stretching of hand is power. It means the power of God, right? And, and it takes you back. Every time I think about stretching hand, I, I think about how Moses was used, right? He, he, the, the Egyptian army is chasing him down or chasing them down, all of them down. They don't have any weapons. They're not military. They were slaves, right? And, and the only reason they left was because of God. So they come up against the Red Sea, their backs are up against the sea, the Red Sea, and they see the Egyptian army with chariots and all these other weapons ready to kill them, right? And the people begin to complain, right? Because that's what we do best when we get up uh, uh, in a tight space, right? I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, the first thing I want to do is complain. But we see that they come, they're coming, and the people begin to complain, and Moses says, do not fear, Right? And then, and then we're going to jump forward in the story. And they, they, he says, do not fear because the Lord had already touched his heart, right? And there was a, 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 a pow, the power of God flowing through him. And what does the Lord tell him? He says, face the Red Sea and stretch your hand, right? And what happens when he stretches his hand? The power of God flows through him. The Red Sea opens and makes a way for the people who were dead. They were dead if that seed didn't open, right? But this is the power of God. And the reason he did that was not so that Moses can feel good about himself for saving the people, but rather so that how this passage ends, then they shall know that I am the Lord, right? So they shall know that I am the Lord, and so going back to the story that I told at the beginning where there was this dam, right? And sometimes the dam was closed. Sometimes in our lives, the dam is closed. And we don't see the power of God flowing through us. Sometimes we could explain it. We know exactly why, right? But sometimes we can't. Sometimes we don't know. We're too blind to see it or we just don't see it, period. Right, So how do we open the dam so that the power of God flows through us? And the answer is we don't. Right, we don't. I had no control over the dam opening or closing. There was somebody that came and opened it and closed it. Somebody who had the power. So the key here 
It's not that we open or close the dam in our lives so that the power of God could flow through us, but rather that it's all him. And the way that we have flow in our lives of the power of God is this phrase that keeps coming up over and over again. Know that I am Lord, right? That I am the Lord. Know that I am the Lord, right? So tonight before we leave, I want to give us three quick things of how I think this text is speaking about how we know the Lord, right? And it's going to be according to this title flow, right? So this is an acronym acronym for um, found, left, and overtaken, right? Found, left, and overtaken. So the first one is in verse 7, right? It says, the slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Why is there slain? They're slain because judgment has come upon them, right? Now, this word judgment, this word judgment means to be found guilty or not guilty, right? Uh, Because of a trial, the result of a trial. So the reason I chose the word found is because, one, we need to know that we are found guilty, Right? The Bible says that there is no one that is good. Ecclesiastes 6 says uh, um, Solomon, the son of David, who was full of wisdom, says that, that there's not a man that does good in this earth. Right? In Romans 6.23. I'm sorry, not 6.23. Right? All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. So the first thing we need to know is that we are found guilty. The second thing we need to know about found or, or this judgment is that even though we're found guilty, we're also found in Christ and in his love, right? I don't know about you guys, but uh, there's many times when, when somebody asked me uh, uh, about my walk with Christ, and I say, well, when I found Jesus, and I, and I stopped for a second, because I think, I didn't find Jesus. I want nothing to do with Jesus. I remember uh, my, my mom telling me, read your Bible. And I was like, I don't have time to read the Bible. I have all these books I got to read. I wanted nothing to do with him. But he found me. And he took me and made me his. Right? So number one, we must be, in order that we may know that he is the Lord, we must be know that, we're fi- that he finds us guilty, but he still finds us to be his. Okay? The second thing here is going to be in verse 10. And it says, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Right? And they shall know that I am the Lord. Um, Sorry, I, have, I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I will bring this calamity upon them. So remember, here he's talking about the remnant, right? He's talking about the remnant. So the second point here is left, right? Left, because remnant, if the best example that I, I, I was able to picture is um, when somebody's carpeting a room, you know, they bring, bring those big rolls of carpet. Um, I've never carpeted a room, but I just could just imagine it. And they lay it out, right? And then they have to cut it to perfection, right? Corners and everything, and, and then they, whatever. And then whatever's left is basically worthless, right? 
And, and so they, they throw it out or use it for whatever. But it's no longer any good to the project. It's no longer any good to the purpose. And so on one side, the truth is that we're left not because there's anything good in us, not because we have anything to offer. A lot of times I like to pat myself in the back and say, well, the Lord allows me to teach. The Lord allows me to do this. The Lord uses me for this because I am good, right? How many of you guys know that's not true, right? We're, we're, we're remnant. We're left because there's nothing good that we can offer. But how many of you guys know that even the left, even the worthless, the Lord takes and does something with them, right? He takes the lowly, he takes the poor, and he takes them and he uses them for his glory, Every single uh, uh, leader in the Bible that you see was a nobody, was somebody that was left, right? Somebody that was worthless in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of God, we, we are perfectly made, right? We're perfectly made. And so in order to know that he is the Lord, we need to know that there's nothing, that, that there's nothing that we have to offer and where we are left, but not because there's anything special in us. And then lastly here, in um, verse 14, in, in verse 14, and there's going to be the word overtaken. You can put it up, number three. It's going to be overtaken. Um, it's what it says here in verse 14. It says, so I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate, yes, more desolate than the wilderness toward Dibla and all their dwelling places. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So notice here that there's going to be sword, famine, pestilence. No matter how far they are, the Lord's going to overtake, right? The Lord's going to overtake because of their sin. And um, finishing here, the Lord... When he died for us and, and we allowed him into our hearts, he overtook us, right? He overtook us. And what happens when he overtakes us is this restoration, right? And so as we look at this passage and judgment comes and, and, and there's all these things that are happening, the Lord is looking to for restoration, and in order for us to be able to, 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 to basically lift those dams in our lives that are, are stopping the flow of the power of God in our lives, in our hearts, is that, that, that we know that he is Lord and, um, and, and that we, ha we need to allow him to overtake us completely. Um, I don't know about you guys, but there's always areas in my life that I don't want touched, Right? Um, my, my wife, um, I don't know what she was doing, but she uh, caught her finger on something and it took some skin off. And so for the, I think the last two weeks, I completely kept forgetting and it was healing. But how many of you guys, that's very sensitive, right? So every time I went to hold her hand, because uh, I like to hold her hand, um, every time I went to hold her hand, she would be like, ouch, like that hurt. And I, I would look down and I remember, right? And, and I, I, I wouldn't, I try to stay away from it. The Lord is like that sometimes. 
He, he allows these things that hurt to stay there because he wants us to recognize that they need to go, right? But it is up to us to allow him to overtake us in order for us to know that he is a good God, that he is a loving God. And no matter how much it hurts, he wants to hold us through it. He wants to, he wants to take that and he wants to make it good. So if you got anything from tonight, this, this flow that needs to happen doesn't happen by anything that we do, but rather by everything that he does. And that's where he's leading uh, uh, Ezekiel to tell the nation of Israel, guys, stop trying. It's not what you do, but it's, it's what I have to do in your lives. And what we're going to see is that from uh, this point on, from Ezekiel on, once they're taken away and scattered, they're no longer going to go back to idolatry. You're not going to see that in the nation of Israel. They're no longer going to go back to these altars. There's going to be a purification. And when that purification happens, that sanctification, then we can truly know that he is Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, you may just come into our lives and hearts in such a way that um, there may be no stoppage of your power in our lives. We need your spirit to lead. We need your spirit to heal. We need your spirit to, to reach out and touch someone. Use us, Lord. As Isaiah 6 says, uh, when, when, when um, the Lord says, who shall we send? He says, here I am, send me. But that only came after Isaiah had realized how sinful and wicked he was and surrendered completely to you, that you allow your power to flow through Isaiah and, and preach things and prophesy things about the kingdom and about, the, about Jesus and the one to come, the salvation of the world. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, that as we um, hear your word and, and go home, I pray that Lord, we may be those vessels that allow your power to do something in this world and to be an impact in this world. Because if we're still here, it's not because there's anything good in us, but rather because you're a loving God who wants us to, wants to use us. So Lord, we just thank you tonight and we praise you. In your name, amen.